Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hello, MD Nation, and welcome into the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Hopefully you're watching the live stream here on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show or on a YouTube channel. But like every episode, we are always available to you afterwards on your favorite pod streaming app, whether it be Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, wherever. We are widely available to you guys. I am your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dauthauer. Chris, how are you doing? How are you feeling about our two back-to-back episodes in a row now that we're getting closer and closer to the season, soon to go to five a week when the season kicks off? I think on yesterday's show, you said this is like the best time of the you know, best time of the year in a lot of senses. I couldn't agree more. It's super exciting. You know, football is approaching. You're getting your draft strategies in place. And it's almost fantasy season. It is almost fantasy season. And the big thing is trying to evaluate the value that these players have, making sure you're avoiding the potholes that are inevitable in every fantasy football draft and snagging the value of where you really need it and where it can best serve you and and sleeper value late that can be the difference between you being a non-playoff team, a playoff team, or even being the difference between a championship team and a playoff team. And that's why we have this series today. It's called the Best 5, Bus 5, Sleeper 5. Last week, we talked about the quarterback, so go back and watch that or stream that on your favorite pod streaming app. Today is going to be about the running backs, which is probably the most pivotal position there is because you have running backs tend to go early. There's so much value at that position when it comes to fantasy football. However, it's also probably the biggest position when it comes to potholes and derailing rosters and derailing lineups, which is why this is probably the most important best five, bus five, sleeper five edition in the series is when we talk about the running backs, which is what we're going to be doing today. So before we kick that off, though, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, 
symbol today, the beginning half of today's show, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, symbol, their new sports gambling innovative app where they bring the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you do win a payout, but when they lose, you don't actually lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit bonus of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app. And again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for your $10 deposit today. And as I've said before, I'm actually having a lot of fun playing on that app right now. Just a different way to play in sports gamble. And we're going to have... I mean, that's one thing I want to mention, Chris, because we haven't really talked about that too much. Our show this year is going to be a little bit different, not just the addition of Chris for the end season, but it's also going to be a little bit different in the sense of we're going to be talking a lot more about our bets this year throughout this show. We're going to be, it's not, it's not just going to be fantasy football. It's going to be fantasy football plus different ways to win you guys money, different bets that we like. Obviously we're going to have the Saturday show that used to be the DC's DFS show. That's now going to be an MD's fantasy football show edition. Same concept though. We're going to give you our DraftKing lineup cards and we're going to have our contest championshipfootballs.com by Mr. Chaz Filardi. We'll have our monthly giveaways that to win. So you have to win, get your name eligible for a raffle at the end of the month to see who wins a championship football for free for Mr. Chaz Flaherty. And he'll still be coming on those shows in the second half to talk about our favorite bets. But we're also going to be previewing our bets on Thursday and Friday as well for each and every game, what we like, what we don't like, or we just don't want to bet it at all. So that's something that's going to be added into the show this year that we didn't have last year. Always growing, always trying to improve. Before we get this thing into the running backs, I like every show. We got news that we got to talk about real quick. Breaking news. So there was some news that we didn't talk about yesterday's show because I want to talk about today's show is more fitting with the running back episode, kicking it off with Zach Moss hurt his hamstring. This has always been an issue with Zach Moss. So Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, what's their value to you, Chris, in general? And what is the Zach Moss injury do in your, your mind for this Buffalo Bills backfield? Yeah, I mean, I had Zach Moss ahead of Singletary because I thought this was Moss's opportunity to kind of take, you know, you know, lead position in that for them. I think that he was utilized more and more as the season progressed last year. He definitely was utilized more in the red zone. So I thought he had more upside than Singletary. But I do think this is a definite concern. Um, it basically makes me not really want to touch Buffalo's backfield. I wasn't big on it in the first place. Um, you know, a lot of people were looking for maybe a breakout from one of these guys, but I think both of them have their concerns where you have Singletary, lighter build, can he ever handle the load? And then you have Moss, who just basically has been injured for the last couple of years, and a guy, you know, you can't necessarily bank on. So I think for me, in our last yesterday's, you know, show, we did our draft, we kind of talked about the importance of making sure you had, a, you know, core running backs that you were going to depend on. This is where I'm not a big fan of the zero running back strategy because a lot of people like Zach Moss is one of those guys, and now as you already see, he might be off the board for you. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, the expectation is Zach Moss is going to be back for week one. But we always knew this was going to be a committee backfield. The idea was that Zach Moss, and I still have him ranked ahead, the idea is that Zach Moss was going to get the opportunity to be more of the guy with Devin Singletary getting worked in. The biggest difference between the two, not just Zach Moss you know, being leaned on more so as the starter, but we knew he's going to be much more involved 
in the passing game over a Devin Singletary. Neither running back was very impressive last year. The running game in general was almost non-existent for the Buffalo Bills. The idea was it has to be a little bit more involved this year than it was a season ago just because they it was so low in volume. And Zach Moss, for me, is still going to be a guy that I'm willing to take late who has some upside. But Devin Singletary is going to have maybe a round or two later type of value too. These are guys you're taking as RB5s on your team, RB4s maybe, and taking shots on to see what they could become. This doesn't really change that, but this does go to play. Zach Moss, again, having to deal with those soft tissue injuries. I'm actually going to talk about Devin Singletary a little bit later too. Saquon Barkley, he returned to practice, or I should say he cleared the pup list. Still hasn't been you know full go yet, but he is starting to do some individual drills, not doing team drills yet. This does put him maybe more back on the pace because we had some reports last week about maybe they're going to hold out Saquon Barkley to week three. This puts him more on the pace of sounds like he's going to be back for week one and playing week one. Chris, where are you at on Saquon Barkley with this news? I mean, I think this is huge news. As long as he continues to trend in the right way, I think it puts him back in the conversations with the top tier running backs and where I was kind of considering, was he truly a first rounder? If he's going to miss three games and still not really sure, you know, when he's going to get his sea legs back, so to speak. I think this kind of makes me more confident that if I take a first round, you know, pick with Saquon Barkley, I could be hopeful that it's going to pan out versus last year where, you know, a lot of people got burned by that. So for me, I think it's huge news because you don't want a guy you take in the first round missing the first three weeks and not really sure what he actually has yet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that standpoint because Barkley, somebody he's been slipping down. He was consensus going in the top five. That's not really the case so much anymore. He's actually, I see him more consistently going around six now as far as running backs are concerned, usually six overall to the boot. I have him ranked at ninth in half point PPR leagues at the moment because I, I still just, I'm very, I'm, it's not just him. I'm shaky about that offense. I'm shaky about that offensive line and how effective they're going to be and how high scoring they're going to be. This is big news to your point as far as, is he going to be out there week one? Now, are, will they allow him to be Saquon Barkley already starting week one with the bell cow? It remains to be seen. Here's my issue, though, with the idea that he's not going to be. Talk about this before on this show. There's a difference between the theoretical ideas coaches would like to ideally do on the field, and then there's when you get out on the field and realize what works and what doesn't work. Devontae Booker's not good. Devontae Booker is just a guy. And other than him, there's nobody even worth 10 cents on the Giants' backfield. So it's hard for me to believe that Saquon Barkley's not out there. He's not getting a bell cow workload. But he does have injury risk. This is a low-scoring offense. There's going to be some bust risk, I believe, involved with Saquon Barkley, which is why I'm glad to see his ADP kind of falling back to what he needs to be. Still a first-round pick, ultimately speaking, in my book. Just shouldn't be in the top five area. This news goes a long way to kind of track that and confirm that in my mind. Will Fuller, we talked about him somewhat in yesterday's show when we talked about the half-point PPR mock draft. Go back and stream that when you get the opportunity if you did not watch it live. Still not practicing. Still dealing with the foot issue. Hasn't practiced since the second day of training camp. Uh, has That's been an issue. Devontae Parker is back. He missed some time. Jalen Waddle, whose reports are he's still kind of working with the ankle injury, but at least he's been the only wide receiver who's actually practiced every single day. But Chris, with Will Fuller still not practicing are you concerned with it being a new team, a new coaching staff, a new quarterback that he has to learn? He's just not getting reps. Not quite yet. 
Um, for me, and in about if he's not back in about two weeks, then I'll start panicking. Because let's not forget, he's suspended for that first game. So more than likely, he wasn't going to be featured in the game plan as it was. And as long as he gets a few weeks of practice with the Dolphins and, and Tua, I feel confident he'll be able to produce. Um, but I think that it has to happen sooner than later. So I'm not really worried. I'm not in the panic button yet, but I will be hitting it in about two weeks if he's not back yet. I'm I'm ahead on you on this. It, today's Friday. If he ain't back by Monday, I'm going to start to hit the panic button a little bit as far as what my boom-bust ratio is for a guy like this. Again, he's still more on the sleeper-end territory because of his ADP and where he's going, and I still think on a game-to-game basis, you're talking about the number one receiver of this offense, and he still has those big upside because he's Will Fuller and what he does on the field. But I need more than two weeks of reps for me to feel confident that he can hit the ground running, especially when you consider he ain't going to be around week one, and that includes in practice, too, when he's suspended. He's not even going to allow in the facility. So it's just as far as getting that season kicked off the way you want it to, as I'm a little bit concerned about. And when you compound that fact with the idea that Will Fuller's a guy who just gets injured, I think he has a limited amount of games in his repertoire for the season to begin with. It just starts to really hurt his value to where maybe instead of being that eighth, ninth round guy that can be some upside, maybe he should be going more into double digit rounds if he's not out there and just a slow start. Cause it's just, it is a new regime. It is a new quarterback. I want this guy out there on Monday. The other thing that bugs me about this, and it bugs me about any player in training camp, is that they still won't tell me exactly what the foot issue is, which in and of itself kind of bothers me a little bit too, not exactly having the exact details on that. So we'll see. Next piece of news. I have we have some you know, we're gonna have some wide things to talk about on this one. Joe Burrow displaying a mental hurdle on this team. And, and I'm gonna lead us off before I kick it to you by saying this. This is on me. I should have talked about this a while ago on this show with Joe Burrow. And the reason I didn't was this quarterbacks coming off of ACL injuries. They typically have a mental hurdle. They need to get over, but because Burrow is so young, because he has that charismatic, confident attitude, I kind of just took for granted that he wouldn't have the issue that most quarterbacks do have when they're coming off an ACL injury. So that's on me. MD nation. I should have talked about this sooner about this being a possibility when looking at the, upside and potential expectations of the Cincinnati Bengal offense. I've been big on, I shouldn't say big, but I, I like Jamar Chase. I like T Higgins. I even have Tyler Boyd as somebody I think is being undervalued. And the reason for all that is why I have, you know, Jamar Chase and T Higgins as wide receiver threes with upside is the expectation that Joe Burrow would be his regular old self. Porson camp is that he is, he definitely has a mental hurdle. He needs to get over to get his confidence back. And that's something that really shouldn't be surprising, but is a bit disappointing when you're excited about what this offense potentially could have on the docket. What do you think about this Joe Burrow news? Yeah, I think it's definitely concerning. And I agree with you that it's something that you have to kind of definitely keep in mind. We saw Carson Wentz kind of deteriorated since he has major injuries. He wasn't the same player after that. You've seen other quarterbacks have some issues, whether it's mentally or just physically stepping into the throws a lot of times and the accuracy and the mechanics kind of kind of break down from the injuries or concerning about getting re-injured. Um, so I'm very concerned with Joe Burrow, not kind of where he is and being as rusty as he is. I think it's going to be hard for him to kind of, you know, hit, hit start the season running in a sense, because I think that he's going to have a heart without being able to take live action or being hit. You don't really know what it's going to feel like. You don't really know how you're going to react. So I do think Joe Burrow's news is definitely concerning. I think it makes you kind of look at, you know, the backfield, a little bit more strongly because you realize that might be more reliant on a running game where they have just you know pure volume last year in passing game, and then also the concern of the offensive line. You know they did they did take uh, Chase as their pick 
instead of taking the Sewell. And as a result, is that going to be something they kind of want to regret him? Because now you have a quarterback who wasn't, he was fairly mobile last year and used his legs a pretty decent amount. So now he can't really maybe do the same kind of things for some company to do the same things. Does that also hurt you know him moving forward? Yeah, a lot of things to kind of dissect there. Um, they're talking about him not playing in the preseason. We talk about this off air. I think it's a mistake. I think this is a this is a guy in this situation. I get it. You don't want to get your franchise quarterback hurt in a meaningless game, but this is a guy who needs to get his confidence back. He needs to get his feet wet. He needs to get smacked around. Sometimes these guys need to get smacked around a little bit to snap back into it. And for him to really prepare and get over the mental hurdle, he's got to be thrown to the fire. So this is a situation where I think he does need preseason reps. It doesn't sound like he's going to get them. And I kind of question how fast of a start or how high is the ceiling of a start for the Cincinnati Bengals offense when it might be you know a month into the football season before we see Burrow start to get confidence. And even then, there's no guarantee. I mean, I look at Jimmy Garoppolo as a 49ers fan, and it was just clear to me coming off the ACL injury. And they went to the Super Bowl that year. But they went to the Super Bowl that year, too. But you you could still tell there was a mental hurdle when it came to wanting to step into his throws and take the hit all the time. And that's something I think we could see with Joe Burrow. And that will hinder, you know, the potential ceiling of a Jamar Chase and a T. Higgins. Uh, So those are things to kind of look out for. On the flip side of that, uh, Joe Mixon might be even more and more of a thing. We're confident in Joe Mixon. I have him ranked in the top 12. You have him, I know, as as an RB1, a low-end RB1 at the very least. And we think that if nothing else, this could mean they try to take additional pressure off of Joe Burrow, which should lead to more and more volume for Joe Mixon. The only thing standing in Joe Mixon's way, really, from a great fantasy season is injury, which, of course, is a big risk, which is really the only reason why I have him in my top 12 and a second-round pick instead of being a first-round pick is because of that risk. But as far as volume goes, ability goes, what his role should be in this offense and what they're going to need him for, I really like Joe Mixon a lot. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think they're going to be even more reliant on the running game in a lot of ways. They're going to try to probably make sure they protect you know, him and also have more checkdown opportunities for him where maybe not pushing the ball down the field. We love Higgins' ability down the field. We love Chase's ability down the field. But there maybe there's going to be still more checkdown action because you're going to need to kind of get the ball out of this guy's hands quicker. Uh, next piece of news, the ever-ending fiasco that is the Jaguars coaching staff. James Robinson and Carlos Hyde listed as co-starters with Travis Etienne as the third string back, the pass catching back. This is in line with the comments made by Urban Meyer when they drafted Travis Etienne, which that he imagined a one-two punch with James Robinson and Carlos Hyde, with Travis Etienne being the third down pass catching back. I still have to see it before I believe it as far as Carlos Hyde and James Robinson splitting carries. But this does go a long way in confirming the insanity that is Urban Meyer. Before I go off on a diatribe, Chris, I'll just get your two cents in here on what this news means to you. I, I take it with a grain of salt. While I do think Robinson's going to be more involved than a lot of people do think, I also remember, you know, I'm not dumb enough to think, believe what Urban Meyer says. We've also heard this guy say that, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't necessarily the starter yet. There's still an open competition. So we all know that Trevor Lawrence will be under the center week one. Um, it's not going to be Minshew. It's not going to be anybody else. So I kind of no. think it's a good salt um, because we've realized this guy's kind of, you know, hyping up things. But also, this guy might actually have Tim Tebow as his tight end. So you never really know what to believe and what not to believe. Well, that's the, you just hit the nail on the head. That's the point. We don't know what to believe and what not to believe. Tim Tebow is a tight end. Tim Tebow actually still has a chance to start, believe it or not. I th- Yeah, so this is, this is where it's a first-round running back who has upside and already has a rapport with the quarterback 
They know they already have a good feel for each other in that backfield. This is a team that didn't have anything to do with James Robinson last year. There's been times where they had comments that sounded like they don't really particularly care for James Robinson at moments. And it's hard for me to believe, especially in today's day and age, that go back to the first round, when you take a running back in the first round, to not play him a ton. Even if you are just giving him that third down pass catching role, it's hard for me to believe that he is not going to be the guy splitting carries with James Robinson with a Carlos Hyde and eventually possibly take over the role entirely by the end of the season. It's hard for me not to believe that that wouldn't go that way. However, this is the one situation. I shouldn't say the one situation, but this is a prime example, let's say, of logically what should play out and a coaching staff that, even though it's early on, we haven't even seen a game out of Urban Meyer yet from the NFL standpoint. Boy, oh boy, do I have questions what this guy is. Yeah, well, well, well the jury's definitely out on Urban. I think that, you know, this it sounds like more of like a college ploy. I don't know if it's going to be all those transferred to the pros. You know, guys don't like to know that's necessarily when a battle to be starters. Usually you name your starters by, you know, throughout the camp, you have an idea who's going to be your guys. This isn't a necessary thing where you're bringing in a freshman and he's going to sit and learn behind the seniors. So I, I'm definitely concerned about Urban Meyer's start, and I'm kind of concerned as it progresses, how, how dumb will he go? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh I just got some news actually about Joe Burrow. So while he was ruled out early on in yesterday's preseason game, he wasn't going to play. Zach Taylor actually just came out and said that they may be leaving the door open to get Joe Burrow some prep, some reps in either next week or the third season preseason game. So maybe they're softening on the stance of not playing him in the preseason. Maybe they just listened to that. Maybe they just listened to the MD fantasy football show and took some advice. Well, we'll, we'll go with that. That's totally what just happened. Zach Taylor just listened to us and, so you know what? You guys are on to something. And Joe Burrow might get some reps in preseason. That would be the best scenario. They got to get his feet wet. We just talked about that. Okay, Chris. Let's dive in to our best five, bus five, sleeper five, starting off with the best because let's start off the show on a positive note. We have our top five guys. Uh, different order, but the same top five guys. So, Chris, we'll start with you. You have... Well, we'll have some fun here. We'll, we'll hit the state your case why is Derrick Henry? Why do you hate Derrick Henry so much at number five when he's my number two? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Start that again because you go on mute when I hit the clip. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a matter of hating Derrick Henry. <laughs> I think that there's a very you know slim margin between a lot of these guys. Um, I think that when it comes to Derrick Henry, my concern more so is will his involvement change a little bit as this year versus past years? You know, this guy doesn't catch the ball. We know that out of the backfield. You do hear a lot of talk about camp, how they're trying to get Evans more out in the field and utilize him a little bit more. And then on top of it, you add a Julio Jones. This team more than likely will be more explosive and more pass-happy than they have been in the past. You move on from Arthur Smith, so this is not a change there. So overall, my concern more so is Derek Henry needs, you know, a lot of, a lot of touches, especially in the running game, to be productive. And while you might get that, you know, as the season progresses or here and there, I have a little bit more question the consistency of how much that occurs this year versus past years because we have had you know him start off season slow before and then usually hit his stride. But having his extra weapons, especially big play weapons, to me might have a little less drives, a little less you know less Derrick Henry usage. So that's why I have him at number five. I talked about this a little bit in yesterday's show. Again, I think after Chris McCaffrey, who I think should be the number one on everyone's boards, I do believe it is a preference pick between those four guys as far as who you want to go with. 
I just trust Derrick Henry more than really anybody in the NFL when it comes to the running back position to stay healthy for all 17 games. Just the way he's built, the way he conducts himself, how he stays in shape, and he's just a monster. So I think that part gets, of course, in the plus column. And while I have him for a regression, because I mean, I'm not going to project him for another 2,000 yard season, I have him for like 40 less carries, a little over 1,700 yards, and I have him for 16 touchdowns, only one less touchdown. I think overall, this Tennessee offense is going to score more points this year with the addition of Julio Jones. I think they're going to be a little bit more aggressive. I do have questions about, you know, the efficiency of a Todd Downey play, call playing compared to Arthur Smith. But as long as they are a higher scoring offense, which I do believe they will be, and because Derrick Henry is who he is, which is just consistently an ogre, I still have him as the RB2, even in half point PPR leagues. Now, if you're in a full point PPR league, that's where he'll probably drop back to number five for me because Kamara, Dalvin Cook, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, they're just there's going to be so much more involved in the passing game, and you're just going to run the risk too often of if Derrick Henry doesn't hit 100 yards, if he doesn't score a touchdown in that game, he doesn't wind up stacking up to those other guys. So you have that issue that kind of plays into effect. But you're in standard half-point PBR leagues, and we usually do the show based on half-point PBR leagues. Uh, Derrick Henry's going to be one of the top guys, and I love the fact that he always gets stronger when the season moves on. As he gets colder, he is a championship league winner, and that can't be discounted. So that's why I have him ultimately at number two compared to the number five. Again, we're nitpicking when we talk about the best five. So let's continue on. You have Ezekiel Elliott number four. I have number five. We're pretty close in that similar territory. Chris, what's your take on Ezekiel Elliott this year? Yeah, I think we both agree this guy is definitely being written off too early in his career and is basically being forgotten about. Um, Zeke's, you know, very productive running back. He is a guy that's utilized both in the rushing game and the passing game. He had his, basically his worst year last year. I expect this offense to improve a lot, particularly with the offensive line actually being more healthy. Um, you have Dak Prescott returning. So all those factors, to me, makes Dallas one of the better offenses. And I usually want to have one of the running backs, one of the better offenses. So for me, I love Zeke this year. I think, you know, you can argue whether you have Derrick Henry over him or not, but I think it's clear to me that Zeke belongs in the top five. He does. And I'll, I'll make a quick note, and we talked about him opening up the show. We don't have Saquon Barkley in our top five. A big reason for that, for me, is because Ezekiel Elliott has to be there. And that's why he's my number five guy. I'm motivated in shape, Zeke, behind this offensive line, in this high-scoring offense in general, is a scary, scary thought. We know what Zeke can be. We know he's a top three guy when he's playing the best of his game. He's actually lighter now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you want an easy way to feel like a chef in your own home, try Blue Apron's two and four serving menu plans so you're always cooking something new and enjoying fresh seasonal ingredients. Choose from an ever-changing mix of premium recipes, chef favorites, family-friendly options, WW recommended, and more. Get $130 off across your first six orders, plus your first order ships free when you visit blueapron.com slash blue culinary. 
than he ever has been in his pro career. He's actually wasted the same amount he did in his freshman year of college. That's how much he came into this season motivated. That's a scary, scary thought of what he can do with his offense. I talk about this a lot with running backs, especially. Hear about all the time, you know, guys gain weight, lose weight during the offseason, what that really means. I hate it when running backs gain weight because usually they're a lot slower. They lose their explosiveness. I love it when they lose the weight because they you, you usually can see that translate onto the field with that extra half step, especially when it's already a power guy like an Ezekiel Elliott, who's pretty much all muscle to begin with, has no neck. Ezekiel Elliott is that guy. So I love Zeke this year. He's my lockdown five pick. The only reason I don't have him a little higher is I don't think he quite has the ceiling of a Cook Kamara or Derrick Henry. It's the only reason I have him number five. But I believe he's as safe as they come. And that's why I have him ahead of the Nick Chubbs, Aaron Jones, and Saquon Barkley's of the world there at that fifth spot. That's why you have him at uh, number four. So let's move to our next guy. We have, you have Dalvin Cook number three. I have him number four. So talk about Dalvin Cook to me this year. I mean, I once again, we kind of are nitpicking where, you know, Dalvin Cook could easily be in your top two, top three. I think that somebody Absolutely. that for me, I, I like him at number three because I have a preference of Camaro over him. Um, but I think only because of slight injury concerns, Dalvin Cook has had a history of it being injured. He was healthy for the most part last year. But you always have that kind of concern about him getting, you know, a, a nicked up here or there. But overall, we know that offense is built for the running back. We've seen people like Arian Foster be dominant for years. And Dalvin Cook has no reason not to be continue to be dominant. He's utilizing the rushing, you know, in the rushing game. He's absolutely getting more and more involved in the passing game one of the explosive players out there. And I think overall for me, Dalvin just kind of still is showing how good he can really be. Dalvin Cook's amazing. The offense around him is amazing. Uh, there's no, there's no question about it. I don't think you lose anything going from Kubiak senior to Kubiak junior, which is what the off, which is what the Vikings are doing this year. The only reason I have number four behind CMC Henry and Kamara comes to the injury thing that you pointed out he just has a little more injury risk than those guys i am just going to value we're talking about these top guys here in the first and second round especially i'm just going to value the safetyness the availability the injury you know proudness you will a little bit more in those rounds and i'm not going to look to take as many risks i don't really consider dalvin cook a risk but he's just a little bit more of a risk than the kamara than the derrick henry that's the only reason why he slides to number four spot for me out of those guys i know people are going to say like whoa christian mccaffrey's number one and he was hurt last year yeah i get it it can happen but the history behind it i have a little more confidence in those guys staying more healthy it's the only reason it's the only reason why i have him number four compared to the rest of those guys he has rb1 potential pretty much like the rest of this top five does quite frankly moving on you have Alvin Kamara as your number two. I have Alvin Kamara as my number three. We have no concerns about the loss of Drew Brees. I'm not really sure why people do, frankly. Not that too many people do, because Alvin Kamara right now, his ADP is uh, RB4. So he's still in the top five, but we have him inside of our top three. Chris, talk about Alvin Kamara, your expectations for him in this offense. Yeah, I mean, this narrative that he needs Drew Brees seems to be over-exaggerated. Talked about yesterday's show. Al- Alvin Kamara's had his best games when Drew Brees was not out there. Two years ago, he carried that Teddy Bridgewater-Royne red team. 
Last year, he also he carried them during the, their run when they had short retreats as well. This offense will be built around Alvin Kamara. Well, he and did at the end of the year. I just want to I just want to clarify this one point, and I'll let you continue. He did at the end, but there was a string there where Kamara was disappointing those first three games Taysom Hill started. That is, is just to throw that out there. Go ahead. And there was that narrative that he, you know he him and Taysom Hill is he's, he's going to vulture all his touchdowns. I think part of that also comes from the fact that the offensive line was a little nicked up during that time frame as well, and they played some better run defenses. So I think for me, it's more a, a other things factor than it was that the quarterback was the problem. Um, I think that Alvin Kamara is just touching the surface as he can be utilized in a rushing game. I think that, you know, hopefully Sean Payton will utilize him a little bit more often because the Saints are going to need to be able to be able to feature their own a little bit more. So, and I also think that we clearly see he's one of the best pass catchers in the backfield. And with all the lack of weapons they currently have, particularly the injuries of Michael Thomas, I think that right now you see Alvin Kamara being that guy who's going to be utilized all over the field and was highly productive the last couple of years. We had a banged up year the year before, but last year he rebounded great, and he was basically RB two in almost every you know scoring category. Um, so other than I think it was what was it? Pure it was half point PPR. I think he was three. Um, so yeah. I, this guy basically has been super productive, and I don't see that changing for any reason this year. Yeah, and to play devil's advocate to my devil's advocate. Even during that four-game Taysom Hill stretch, he was still the RB nine. So disappointing, I guess, in the sense that he was in a top three running back, but still was an RP one during that stretch, nonetheless. I'm with you. First of all, I still think it's going to be Jameis Winston who starts, but I think you hit the nail on the head when, given the lack of pass catchers, I don't care who the quarterback is. Alvin Kamara is going to be the number one pass catcher. He just is, um, which is actually going to lead to an interesting uh, player that I'm going to talk about later on in the show too. But Alvin Kamara is. As good as it gets, he is a superstar. He's a stud. Here's the other thing about him. This guy consistently finishes in the top three PPR, full point PPR. He was number one last year. Uh, Yet, he still has not, in his career to this point, rushed over 200 times in a season. This is the year I have him projected to do that. I'm at 231. Again, this goes back to Alvin Kamara is the Saints offense, and he's going to be featured in a tremendous way. And I trust Sean Payton, who's going to be doing the featuring of the team. And that's always key when it comes to these running backs. Do I trust the play caller? Absolutely, 100%. Getting Alvin Kamara the ball. Because of that, you're going to get an added volume. I still have him for over 100 targets, plus the extra carries this season. That's why he's my RB3. I don't care who the quarterback is. Drew Brees not being there is not going to be that much of a hurdle for him. I just want to add real quick. On our list of our top five, probably has a going behind the second best offensive line. Maybe you can argue Dallas is better, but Nolan's offensive line is outstanding, so that's also a great asset for him. Yeah, 100%. Another reason why they're just going to have to lean on that uh, even more so. So, that pretty much, we have CMC number one. Uh, Chris, just give me your quick thoughts on what you think of CMC this year. You don't have to go into too much detail. Yeah, I mean, yesterday's show, it's the guy I went number one. I think Christian McCaffrey, to me, is clearly number one. He has been the past few years other than last year when he was injured. But even in those games he did play, and he wasn't even 100% towards the end of the season when he came back, he still finished in the top 10 RB you know, scoring-wise. So I think Christian McCaffrey, there's no reason to be scared about the injury thing. Last year's injuries were kind of freak things. It's not something he has a history of. They're not things that are ongoing problems for him. And then add the fact that basically – you have check down machine Sam Darnold at quarterback. I think it's obvious that Christian McCaffrey is going to be the prime beneficiary of a guy who's not looking to look down the field. He'll be consistent with his volume. So I love Christian McCaffrey this year. Yeah, we know there's one running back who has the upside of going for a thousand, a thousand. That's Christian McCaffrey. That, plain, plain, plain and simple. That's what it boils down to. He is tremendous. Last year, 
didn't play a lot. Yet when he did, week one, he was the RB2 overall. Week two, RB6 overall. Week nine, when he wasn't even 100% healthy, was the RB2 overall. Those are three games he played. Top six finishers in all three of them. And one of them definitely wasn't completely healthy for that game. That's the tremendousness that is Christian McCaffrey, especially, again, I trust the play caller. I trust Joe Brady. I trust Matt Rule. I trust that while I hate Sam Darnold, he's going to check the ball down. So <laughs> that's, there's nothing not to like about Christian McCaffrey. We talked about this before. Not worried about the injuries. It, was, it wasn't an injury that's going to stay with him for his career or anything like that. It's not something he can't just fully recover from. He's going to be good to go. They played it cautious with him towards the end of the season because they were out of it. I do believe that if they were in a playoff race, he would have came back at the end of last year. I did it. I think they did the smart thing. I think he has a chance to come back 100% healthy this season. There's no reason not to take Christian McCaffrey with your number one overall picks. So that's our best five. That's the guys that are no doubters. You'd start off the first round with it. Now let's talk about some guys that might create some potholes for people. You have Kareem Hunt, your number five. Before you even start talking, I'm going to hit this button, though. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Why do you hate Kareem Hunt as your number five bus, sir? Because I don't understand this obsession that Kareem Hunt is going to be so productive and where he's going ADP-wise. He is the second running back in the, on the Browns. He had an outrageous amount of touchdowns. And people love to talk about regression for quarterback touchdowns and receiver touchdowns, but they don't want to talk about Kareem Hunt's regression is due for touchdown-wise. He's not going to have double-digit touchdowns again this year. And I think that the offense is going to be way more explosive in a lot of ways because they're going to have a healthy OBJ, and they're going to be utilizing the tight ends a little bit more. So all those things take away some of his catches, take away some of his usage. And I think Nick Chubb's going to have continues to be the top running back in that backfield. He got paid accordingly. So for me, I think that Kareem Hunt has a, a value that's good, but not a guy that I'm necessarily drafting to be my RB3 or my flex. Yeah, completely disagree. So his ADP is RB22. He's He is an RB2. Last year, he finishes RB10. Again, that's with games with missing Nick Chubb. I don't care about that. I want to talk about the games where he played with Nick Chubb, which is why I'm convinced he is still an RB2 in this offense with the way Kevin Stefanski runs it with the split that Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb have. With Nick Chubb, weeks one through three, he was the RB12. Okay, we're talking about with Nick Chubb on the field, the RB12. Weeks five through eight, he was the RB10 with Nick Chubb. And then with Chubb again from weeks nine through 17, he was the RB19. The fact is this, right or wrong, Nick Chubb doesn't get to catch the ball. And Kareem Hunt isn't only on there on passing downs. He also gets a couple series of games to himself. They do like him in the goal line at times. So while I think there might be a little bit of a bigger split, to your point, in the red zone when it comes to a Nick Chubb and a Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt is still going to be involved enough in this crazy run-heavy offense of Kevin Stefanski where the entire offense revolves around this backfield. Kareem Hunt has enough talent where if you give him 12-plus touches a game, he'll finish as an RB2. And his ADP being RB22, I'm 100% with that as I have him ranked at RB23 this season. Go ahead, you can rebuttal. No, I mean, I think that you kind of hit nail on the head in the sense that you have him at 23. Um, I think that there's not so much where I think he falls as the RB is where I think he's getting drafted in the ranking-wise. I think that he's going rounds way earlier than I think that he should because I still think that he's still a splitting time running back. Well, right now, he's typically going in the back-end fourth round, early fifth round. That's exactly. typically where you would have a low-end R running back go. So that's why I'm kind of confused as to why he's a bust there. 
because I think that there's a lot of right there. I think that you're looking for more upside running back or you're looking for a receiver that you're solidifying in your lineup. I like the receivers in, in, in round five. We kind of saw in the last yesterday's show. Cream Hunt is somebody to me that if you're going to take him in the seventh or eighth round, I have no problem with. It's the round four or five that I'm going to de- I definitely debate because I think there's other guys clearly more valuable to have on your team than a second running second running back in the system. I'd be perfectly happy with Cream Hunt being my, you know, RB3 type, even a low-end RB2 if I went heavy receiver. And I actually have to correct myself. So if you go to BillionFantasySports.com where you can see my rankings, I actually have Cream Hunt, and I forgot I updated my rankings, down to RB29 now, uh, about seven I'm behind the eight. About seven, yeah, eight behind the AP, yeah. So that actually would suggest I'm a little bit on your side. I still don't think he's a bust where he's going. I still think he has tremendous upside, and we know what he can do. Even though he didn't, I don't think he actually played well without Nick Chubb last year, but he was still a top 10 running back during that stretch anyway. I think that says something of himself. He still has that upside in case something happens to Chubb. He's still going to be involved. I just wouldn't have him in my bust area. I'm fine with where he's going, although my rankings would actually more point to your side, as you pointed out. When you want an easy way to feel like a chef in your own home, try Blue Apron's two and four serving menu plans so you're always cooking something new and enjoying fresh seasonal ingredients. Choose from an ever-changing mix of premium recipes, chef favorites, family-friendly options, WW recommended, and more. Get $130 off across your first six orders, plus your first order ships free when you visit blueapron.com slash blueculinary. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with Alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. Uh, We go here to bust five, keep the list going. So I have Miles Gaskin as my number five. Now, here's the thing about the Miles Gaskin, why I have him as my fifth guy. I don't have him ranked significantly different than the ADP. Um, I actually have him only one or two spots, I believe, behind ADP right now as I'm trying to pull up my list in front of me because my screen, of course, always goes blank. I just love technology. Miles Gaskin, I have at the moment ranked as the running back 23, and his ADP is RB21. So I have him two spots behind the ADP, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But sometimes when we talk about bus, we talk about guys that I see a pathway in which this could not go, you know, the way we expect. Miles Gaskin will, I believe, will be the starter. Now, I don't think there's a stretch to say, obviously. He'll be the main pass catching guy. But there's a couple of things that worry me. One, I don't think he has the build the last 17 games as a starter. Two, I don't think he's that great of a running back. I think he's okay at what he does. I think he's a guy who's better suited for a platoon role. Three, last year, we really did not get to see a healthy Miles Gaskin and a healthy Savant Ahmed at the same time. They seem to kind of rotate when they were hurt. So we get to see one guy do pretty well and then get hurt. And then the other guy do pretty well and then get hurt. And we get to see these guys both at the same time. I am kind of curious because Miles Gaskin's not a bell cow type of running back. I am kind of curious, what's the splits going to be? What's Malcolm Brown's role going to be? Does he 
come in and goal line situations? Do they use him like the Rams did as a running back who has a pretty good ability to pass protect and therefore, although doesn't have the explosiveness of a Miles Gaskin, does he play more on passing downs than you would normally expect? Those are the things that I'm looking at when it comes to Miles Gaskin and why I have him, have him as a number five bus, although my ranking has him as a low NRB too. I just see a pathway where he could be a potentially pothole running back. I'm going to have a, play a little devil's advocate question myself then with that because you said we didn't see them together. We did towards the end of this season, and it was clear that Miles Gaskin was the guy. They played him over 70% of the snaps when he returned. While Ahmed um, was, was active, was he wasn't 100%, he wasn't 100% yes. healthy. He was active. He was not 100% healthy during that time, though. The last three games? Last um, three games, correct. Okay. So I, from what I understood that he was pretty healthy, there was more so that this is clearly going to be our guy. Now, having said that, I don't argue with you strongly because I do think the other things that you're concerned about are definitely things you need to take into consideration. Number one, Ryan Fitzpatrick is no longer the quarterback. That's a big part of it in my, my book because you have an upgraded receiver, tremendous upgraded receivers, I think, in general for the Dolphins. And you don't have the same kind of check down guy that looks for his running back as much as Ryan Fitzpatrick did. Um, and then it adds to the fact that you do have a guy that I question the talent as well. And I also think that if there's an opportunity to upgrade or the Dolphins struggle in any kind of capacity, I think he's going to be one of the first heads to roll in a sense. So I do think that I agree with you that he's a guy that you're trying to take a chance on. His ADP, though, overall isn't too bad because you're not, really, you're not really projecting him to be somebody reliant on in your team, but it is somebody that, you know, I can see him having some opportunity not to be as productive as people expect. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. The quarterback's not an issue to me. Week 16 through 17 with Tua Tagovailoa, he was actually the RB4 during that stretch, but I uh, have other concerns. Moving on, Chris, you have David Johnson as your number four bust. Uh, I can't disagree with that. Again, I have him ranked close to what his ADP is, but I can't disagree why. I definitely see a pathway. Explain why you have him in that top five there. Well, I mean, first of all, you have a situation where you have like 5,000 running backs in the backfield as it is. <laughs> you, you got, I mean, you got Philip Lindsay, they added, they added uh, Ingram, they added Burkhead. You have a team that we both question offensively what the hell they can do in the first place because, you know, it's basically without Watson being the quarterback, the offense is really putrid. Um, you have no threat of really any other receiver other than Brandon Cooks keeping people away from, out of the box. And then add the fact that David Johnson is basically being considered as a guy that's going to kind of you know, continue the form he showed towards the end of the season with all those different mouths to feed. And from my understanding, camp him actually being projected to play the Duke Johnson role. I think this guy has a lot of opportunity not to be successful. It's something I'm definitely avoiding. Um, I hate this Texans team overall fantasy wise, other than cooks, but I definitely am not taking David Johnson or somebody who I really want to have a you know, target. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I actually have him ranked at RB 30. So I have him as an RB three. It's actually four spots technically ahead of ADP. And that's only because he, I just, with the pass catching proudness and the lack thereof for the other running backs on this roster, I do believe there's a floor at the very least that comes with a David Johnson. I don't buy into the Duke Johnson narrative that he is going to be second in carries to Philip Lindsay. I still think at least starting the season anyway, he'll lead the way. Would I be shocked if by the end of the year, Philip Lindsay is leading the way? No, I think Philip Lindsay is actually a decent running back and he's younger. But I think to start off the season, at least, it will be David Johnson more so with a sprinkle of everybody else. 
Ultimately, though, I'm not arguing with you about the bus aspect of it because I don't really want to touch anybody on Houston. Everybody on Houston could be a bus because of how bad this team could be, what the floor actually is on this organization, on this team this year. I would be willing to bet a lot of money that this team winds up going 0-17, quite frankly, and the only team I could ever see them beating would maybe be the Jaguars once. I think it's the only thing they even have a chance to do. So I'm not going to argue at that point too much about it. If you're drafting David Johnson, you're drafting him as a floor player to plug and play in your lineup just to get you by type of deal. There's no upside there. So that's why I'm kind of with you. I'd rather take other guys that have upside, even though I have him ranked at RB 30. That's only because of where the expected projection would take him to be based on the numbers. Don't disagree with that at all. Uh, for my number four, I actually have Devin Singletary on there. Now, the reason for this is because his ADP is 41. My ranking on him is 46. While we actually talked about earlier in our show, because we talked about the Zach Moss injury and that that could open up the door for Devin Singletary, I will say this. Devin Singletary, if he has the job all to himself because of a Zach Moss injury, will probably have RB3 ability. That's his upside. That's my point. RB3, a flex play. That's the guy's upside. And it's just a team. It's built around Josh Allen. It's pass-heavy. The offensive coordinators didn't change. I don't expect the play calling to change all that much. Yes, there's some expectations that maybe they'll go to the run game a little bit more, but I don't buy it to be enough for it to really matter. And for the most part, when Moss is healthy, I expect Devin Singletary to you know be the back back guy for that. So he'll be in the lesser one in that in that committee to begin with. There's just not again, kind of like the David Johnson thing. There's not a lot of upside here to be had. So ultimately, I'd rather have other guys in that territory who I think just have more upside than a Devin Singletary does, even though he actually has a pathway to be a starter for a few games. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue that at all. Plus, you have, you know, quarterbacks that basically vultures your touchdown rushing, and you have a guy who is not the most big guy in the world that really utilizes the red zone a lot of times and hasn't been heavily involved in the passing game. So his best attribute is his quickness, and if you're not really involved in the passing game, that kind of makes you, you know, avoid in a situation where I'm not a guy I don't want to necessarily touch or draft. So let's talk about our number three guys. We have two number three guys that are going to be high draft picks. I have Jonathan Taylor. You have Austin Eckler. Chris, we'll start with you. Why is Austin Eckler a potential bust, your number three bust, on the year for the running back position? Because if you look at his statistics, he hasn't been a top RB for a couple of years now. And a big part of that reason is because his lack of touchdowns. This guy had two touchdowns last year. He's not heavily involved in the red zone. I don't see why that changes. You have a new coaching regime, yes. But you also have a coaching regime that loves to use Latavius Murray and loves to use that kind of hammer back in the sense. So I think we're going to talk about some of your sleepers moving forward, and we're going to see some other guys who will probably will utilize more so in the red zone than you know he will be. He's a good pass catcher, yes. Um, he's not Alvin Kamara. He's not one of these elite guys. And when you look at the guys who are kind of in that round two where he's going before some of them, like a J.K. Dobbins, um, where you have some guys with upside and systems that I think are better and they're going to have, have opportunity to be high-scoring guys Austin Eckler is not a guy for me that I think you should be taking in the second round unless you're having basically there's been a run, but nothing but running backs for the first 16, 18 picks um, because I just don't see the value there. Um, yeah, look, I don't disagree with you. There's a pathway there. Look, my big thing about Austin Eckler kind of comes down to the injury thing. I think it's just a given with a guy in his situation that I can't expect you to play 17 games. Having said that, I have him ranked at RB 13, at the moment, his ADP is RB RB10. So I am lower on him than the ADP is. 
Um, I understand why people like him. I do. Because you're looking at, the, especially in half-point PPR leagues, you're looking at the pass-catching prowess he's going to have. You look at the fact that Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, Justin Jackson, these are all very unimpressive running backs. You look at the fact that Joe Lombardi is the offensive coordinator coming from, you know, utilizing Alva Kamara and just the volume that you expect out of Austin Eckler. I don't think it changes much from what you've seen as far as volume-wise. Anyway, I think he's a high-end RB2. But I'm with you. The touchdowns aren't necessarily there, which is why I keep them outside of my RB1 territory, unlike the ADP does. And again, you're talking about a guy who I have listed down for a 5-1 to injury rate ratio. So I have him playing 14 games, three games missed, baked into his projections. And honestly, I think that's going to probably hit the head on the nail, if not even be a little bit generous as far as the games that he plays. He has not started a full season at any point in his career. The only season that he did play 16 games in, he started eight of those games. Melvin Gordon was taking the brunt of the hits, and Austin Eckler was getting sprinkled in, as we all know. Still had a great year fantasy-wise, but in the situation where he's been a starter, has never started a full season. So that's why I keep him outside of my RB1. If you draft him inside of your top 12, then I think you might be taking a little bit more of a risk where there's other guys there. Again, I talk about this all the time. I like to play it safer in those beginning rounds. There's other guys there who I'd rather take that chance on myself. Now, I have Jonathan Taylor as my RB3 uh, bust. My I shouldn't say my RB3. As my bust RB3. He is because he's my RB16 in my rankings. His ADP is still RB6. It didn't move with the Carson Wentz and the Quentin Nelson in, uh, injury news. Now, like I said, it sounds like they're going to be back for week one. So that part isn't going to go against him. I never moved Jonathan Taylor in my rankings no matter what the situation was, even when that injury news first came out, I already had him at 16 because I had other concerns about Jonathan Taylor. One concern being that from weeks one through 10, he wasn't very good. He wasn't always utilized. In fact, he was a guy that some people were talking about dropping or wanting to trade low on just to get rid of him and get him off their team. Talk to anything, any Jonathan Taylor owner last year, even with Marlon Mack going down, which was the best case scenario for taking Jonathan Taylor way too high, because by the way, his ADP last year was like the third round, and I warned MD Nation to let someone else make the mistake the entire time. He wasn't that great. He wasn't seeing the holes very well. He wasn't breaking tackles. Now, towards the end, he was very good, and that's ultimately what propelled him to be an RB1 by the season's end, but again, against lesser competition. His storyline is not much different than a David Montgomery, where he just took advantage of very bad matchups, and he came through there. Now, you can say, hey, you know what? You had a matchup you should take advantage of, and you did. And I like Jonathan Taylor's talent. I don't want to get this twist as I'm a Jonathan Taylor hater, because I'm not. But you're on a team with a Frank Reich who likes to rotate in other guys, who Naeem Hines is going to get the majority of the passing down work in the, on this team. Marlon Mack, I believe if he is healthy, will get sprinkled in enough to be annoying. I just think Jonathan Taylor's ceiling, volume-wise, will be capped somewhat. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. 
That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom Alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with Alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. Even with Quentin Nelson back, this is still a banged-up offensive line all in all. I think you're going to see a team throw the ball a bit more than they did last season. Now that you have Carson Wentz compared to Phillip Rivers. Remember back in 2018 when they had Andrew Luck, they threw the ball 650 times. They weren't a balanced team. They were a pass-first team. I think something similar could be in store for this team next year now that they have Carson Wentz. So, Chris, what do you think about Jonathan Taylor there? Yeah, I actually had Jonathan Taylor at my bus list. I was more concerned about the injuries than you you, you were. It's easy to move him on your board, but I definitely was because I definitely am very concerned that you're, you don't have Carson Wentz as your quarterback and you have Easton or Ellinger as your quarterback. I don't know how productive this guy is going to be because they don't really have a, a great variety of weapons on the outside, to keep you honest. So you have an aging T.Y. Hilton, you have Pittman trying to come up. I think this guy was, does have concerns about – you know, do you can try to focus taking away? And then you had the fact that you have Reich as the coach who does like to kind of platoon and utilize different guys, particularly different roles. And God forbid the Colts fall behind in the game. Then all of a sudden all you see is Naheem Hines for the rest of the game. You get frustrated as a fantasy owner. So Jonathan Taylor, well, I like his upside. And I love his skill set and I love his ability. I do have concerns about taking him in the first round because I think this is a guy that can really cost you a week at a couple weeks here or there because you don't know based on game flow or based on the coaching staff how things are going to unfold for him. Yeah, and that's and that's look, Jonathan Taylor's not a first round pick. That's the point I'm heavily trying to make. You take him in the second round, I'm not gonna be mad at you. You know, that's gonna be okay, MD Nation. That is not it's not a let someone else make that mistake situation. But when it comes to the first round, he ain't in the same class as the top five guys we talked about. I'd rather have Saquon over him. I'd rather have Aaron Jones, I'd rather have Nick Chubb. All these guys I'd rather have over a Jonathan Taylor because even if everything goes right in his natural situation, his ceiling's still gonna be capped. Plain and simple. And I like Jonathan Taylor's talent. Maybe next year, as he establishes himself as a better visual runner, maybe that'll go a long way. But I don't trust Frank Reich to just let him be the guy the way he needs to be. And that's something that has to be taken into consideration. What we're going to do now is we'll take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to continue on and cap off our bus five. And then we'll have our sleeper five for you guys, along with the mailbag segment. So everybody stay tuned. The Worldwide Sports Radio Network or at Billy Up MDFF show. And we'll be back to you right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're streaming to you live on Social media at Belly Up MDFF Show and on YouTube. Of course, check out the show if you missed it anytime that you want, or even if you didn't miss it, just to replay it and watch it again or listen to it again on your favorite pod streaming app, which you can find on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, wherever. We are widely available to you guys everywhere because that's just our duty to you to try to help you guys win championships, make sure the information's out there, make sure you guys are making the right moves and getting your edge on the competition. We're talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five, running backs halfway through the bus five. Got the sleeper five on deck. And, of course, the mailbag singer for you at the end. 
as your host, Dan Mater, Chris Dauhauer. Got to intro us, of course, again. And we have our sponsor for the second half of today's show, which is Monkey Knife Fight. And they're a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money on your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. So download the app. Go to monkeyknifefight.com with the promo code BELLYUP for a dollar-to-dollar match on your deposit of up to $100. That's an additional $100 for free that you could play with today when you sign up for the monkeyknifefight.com app or on your favorite Play Store. So again, just use the BELLYUP code, get a $100 deposit bonus today on that. All right, Chris, so we we're talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five guys. We got halfway through or a little more than halfway through our bus five running backs. Let's get to our top two. Our top two are kind of the same. I specified it being Ronald Jones because of his ADP. You went with the Tampa Bay running backs in general. So why are all the Tampa Bay running backs a bust in your eyes? Because I've also I've heard this narrative that you know people depending on who you like more, do you like Fournette more? Do you like Ronald Jones more? That's who you kind of target. I don't think you target any of these guys in the backfield. I think that's it's going to be basically. Uh, you know, butchering each other, a reincarnation of the New England situations years ago, San Francisco situation a couple of years ago, and the Rams situation last year, where you never knew who to play, you never knew what the matchup was going to bring out, and you never knew what the coaching staff was going to do. And then add the fact that you have a coaching staff that loves to pass the ball, a healthy Tom Brady and all the weapons they have in the passing game, add Giovanni Bernard onto the mix for another guy to be a clear-cut pass catcher, which was you know something that Tampa Bay Fournette was able to be utilized in some ways last year when Ronald Jones was with him in the backfield. I think you just have too many question marks to want any of these guys because it's not obvious the coaching staff even wants how the hell are you supposed to draft somebody for you in your fantasy league. Yeah. Look, ultimately, I'm with you. I don't really want a Tampa Bay running back, period. The only reason I specify in mind that it's Ronald Jones is because Leonard Fournette is going in a territory which I think is fine. He's going at like 10th round territory where you're taking a shot on a guy who is going to be involved, who's going to be on the field as a running back. That's the only reason why I say like, okay, fine. I'm fine with where Leonard Fournette is. He's I have him ranked about where he's being drafted. The reason I specify Ronald Jones, because this is the guy who's going entirely too high. His ADP is RB31. ECR, expert consensus ranking, is RB32. I'm out on both the public and the other experts in the industry. I have him ranked as RB45. I don't see a pathway where this guy is truly a, a mid-level RB3, essentially, because of all the reasons you just talked about. Leonard Fournette's going to be involved. Still really not 100% clear who's going to be the lead guy, whether it's Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette. And then let's add in the fact that because both these guys actually had somewhat of a floor because they had about 45 targets apiece last season, you had in Gina Vine Bernard, who I do believe will have a big involvement in the passing game and take that floor away. So you might have legitimately three guys regularly involved in this team. That's why ultimately I don't want any of them, but Ronald Jones especially, he's going way too high if you actually think, because you're talking about mid-level RB3, you're talking about a guy who's should be in your flex conversation any given week. No way. No way to have Ronald Jones in my flex conversation. So that's why I specify Ronald Jones as my number two bust. But ultimately, I'm with you the whole backfield. I'm just, I'd rather not touch if I can help it. So let's go to our number one bust, Chris, from the same team, but different players. So actually, I'm not going to hit. I was thinking about hitting the debate button, but I don't know if I have a strong enough debate case to hit you with Travis Etienne. So talk about why Travis Etienne is your RB1 bust. Um, well, I see you have Robinson as yours, but I think you do have the narrative coming out of the Jacksonville 
you know, coaching staff that there's going to be a featured running back more so than one of the bruisers between Carlos Hyde and James Robinson. ETN does have the first round pick invested in him. So you would think he had an opportunity to kind of be that guy, especially as the season progresses. But I don't necessarily agree with that because you look at the coaching staff in general, they traditionally like to use more of the physical backs. They like to have that guy kind of get you the three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, I think ETN is going to be kind of a luxury for this offense and he might be utilized as in the passing game, but I don't think it's going to be consistent enough or even something you can project well enough to be taking him in the first seven, eight rounds. I think he's, he's going way higher than that quite often in most drafts. Um, and for me, ETN's the guy that I'm not going to necessarily stick my neck out, particularly when there's people going after him like a Michael Carter, a Javante Williams, et cetera, where I think these guys have more of a clear-cut opportunity to be starters or have you know early on have touches versus ETN where you're kind of hoping there's manufactured touches for him when you have a Chenault, when you have a Shark, you have a Marvin Jones. So I think there's a lot of things kind of that have to work his way for him to be effective and be utilizing your lineup where I'm not going to take that chance that early. I don't disagree with you on the points of he is being ranked drafted based on logically what he should be as a first round running back and logically what he could be. And I have him ranked at 27, which is actually a spot or two below the ADP, which has it about RB 25, I believe. Pretty much what it boils down to is this. You're talking about talking about a half point PPR standpoint, PPR standpoint. We have gotten the notion that he will definitely be the pass catching back. That is the one thing that has been consistent from this coaching staff. I believe that it will be the case. He is the most explosive back. So he has that floor. Targets are worth more than carries at the end of the day. So even if this turns into a DeAndre Swift situation, let's say last year, where Swift didn't really get involved or wasn't the lead carry guy until about week 14, he was, but he got like five targets a game. He was still an RB three during that time period before he took over. So that's kind of what touchdowns I'm, you need, though. That's going to be the crucial difference. But go ahead. Well, I don't think it's going to be much different. I think that and that was the point I was going to get to because this is going to be a shotgun based team. I think they're going to be running shotgun quite a bit in the red zone area. Maybe not in, inside the five, but inside the twenty. Yeah. So I think he does have a situation to do something similar to a DeAndre Swift last year, which is why I don't discount him there. And because he is the most explosive running back, because they did invest a first round draft capital into him. I still think there's a pathway for him to overtake a James Robinson at some point during this season, especially he'll definitely do it next year, 2022. I think that's no doubt, but I think there's a chance that he will do it this season towards the end. That's why on the flip side, I have James Robinson as my number one bust mostly because of this. And I think Chris, this part, I think you'll agree with me on his ADP is RB 22. His ECR is RB31. I have him ranked at RB41. So, I mean, just hit me with your quick sentence on the idea that his ADP is RB22. I mean, you disagree with that, right? Yeah, I think that's too high. I mean, I think Jay Robinson has some value more so than some people think, but I don't think he should be that ranked that high. He's not an RB22 at the end of the draft. He has no passing upside to maintain his floor. I don't know how often... Jacksonville will be in the red zone area inside the five, inside the 10, which is where he's going to need to be. And even then, because his coaching staff is so unpredictable, is it him or Carlos High getting the goal line carries? I think that can be a question in and of itself. So there's just too much of a floor 
with a James Robinson. That's why I have him ranked at RB41, even if he's leading the way in carries over Travis Etienne for the first half of the season. It does not matter. He has no floor. The reason why he was a fantasy gold mine last year was because of volume. He wasn't efficient. It wasn't great anything great about his game. He doesn't have an off-the-chart athletic skill set. He had volume in both rushing and passing. You take the play of the passing, you're talking about a guy to me who's not even an RB3. So the fact that he's being drafted as a low-end RB2, empty nation, say it with me, let someone else make that mistake on James Robinson. But maybe one thing you want to take out of this between me and Chris is, yeah, maybe you just don't target a Jacksonville running back, and I can't be mad at you about that either. Let's move into our sleeper five. Well, yeah, don't reach on one. And that's always the key, right? Don't reach on any player. Ultimately speaking, that is the main thing that you want to stay away from. So let's talk about our sleeper five. Let's talk about our exciting guys, the guys that we love their value at. You started off, maybe not the quote-unquote typical prototype sleeper type, but I still see why you're going with this guy. David Montgomery is your number five. Yeah, uh, David Montgomery is going around the fourth, third, end of the third, you know, beginning of the fourth round right now. Had a, you know behind a lot of other guys. This guy was RB four last year, and that and you want to go by you know, week to week. He was RB nine from average wise. So there's no reason he shouldn't be considered still one of the top running backs to target. Um, I talked about like, you know, not be, being a big fan. Also, Eckler's almost going with two rounds ahead of him right now. So I think that to me, David Montgomery's kind of being forgotten about, and I think that he has one of those guys who is upside as the season progresses as well. We saw that last year, and I think when Josh Fields takes over the quarterback. You and I kind of have a similar viewpoint that when Justin there's a mobile quarterback there. Sorry, I messed that up. Justin Fields, when he becomes <laughs> quarterback, um, he, he tends to usually benefit the running back by almost a full you know yard per carry in a sense because that running threat at the quarterback position makes that different you know guys ends the tackles not be able to just kind of come up the field the way they want to. He was utilized in the passing game. Three Cohen still not healthy. Damian Williams has a little bit of concern, but Damian Williams was ever somebody who's been heavily utilized. And even when Nagy was the coach and the Williams was there back in the Kansas City days, it wasn't a guy that was necessarily one of his favorites. So I think there's no reason that Montgomery won't continue to be the, one of the top running backs to target. And I'm kind of surprised that people kind of written him off, not written him off, but kind of have him far down behind other running backs as they do. Well, I don't know if that's actually the case, and that's why it doesn't really make my sleeper or bust in any scenario. His ADP right now is RB17. I think that's that's where he belongs. I actually have he him finished ranked, four last year, just by the way, finished four. I have him ranked at RB twenty two, so I'm even lower than the ADP is on him. It's not David Montgomery. I like David Montgomery. I do. I have a problem with him trying to start Andy Dalton begin the season. And while I agree with you, Justin Fields will eventually take over. It's anybody's guess when exactly that will truly be. Hopefully earlier than later, which would propel well to David Montgomery's side, but it is a concern of mine. I don't trust Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy's my new Adam Gase. I don't trust anything he does, especially as long as he's the play caller, and that includes when David Montgomery's on the field. Tariq, you hit it on the head with Tariq Cohen analysis of where is he at health-wise. If he's not healthy, this could play out well, but when Tariq Cohen's healthy, he dominates the passing targets under Matt Nagy's play calling. So just to, just to clarify for that real quick, through three games that Tariq Cohen was healthy last year, David Montgomery had the same amount of targets. Through two games, Tariq Cohen only had three total targets. He had one, and he had two. He finished with a, I mean, not targets, I'm sorry, catches. And he had three catches the last game on six targets. So they had the exact amount of same targets overall, and Montgomery was more effective week to week where he got three, three, three. And Cohen 
on a game they basically were losing to Atlanta, had to come back and became a totally pass-happy team that game, had his best target-wise with six targets and only had three catches. So that narrative, I think, is something that's changed and had already changed last year when Nagy was the coach for the first three weeks. Yeah, I think you're overlooking the big fact there, which is the quarterback play. The target-wise, it was a 75-25 split between Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery as far as targets go in those first three weeks. The the reception thing, while you're right about that, had more to do with the shoddy quarterback play. And say what you will about Andy Dalton, as much as I think it should be Justin Fields, he's still better than Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles out there. Uh, so that's where I think the difference is. They both had is, nine targets. I'm, I'm confused by the 75-25. No, that, that's no. The first three weeks, it was a 75-25 yes. split between Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. That, that's that's, I mean, that's in, in passing downs, you mean? No, or in, you mean in targets wise, because he had mean, literally had he had one and two targets, so he had three targets through the first three games, first two games, I should say, and he had six in game three. Montgomery had three targets, three targets, and three targets, so it's nine. So both of them had nine through three games. I'm going to look this up right now. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. I have it in my notes. This is a 75-25 split as far as the targets go. Um, but my point is more with so with this than anything else. I don't trust Matt Nagy. I don't trust that offensive line. And my thing is this. I think David Montgomery has a good amount of value. I think he is an RB2. I think there is an upside there. The reason why he's not a sleeper for me, though, is that you can't draft him any higher than he's being drafted right now anyway as the RB17. I definitely think he can. He finished fourth, and he's ninth on per game by basis. Finished fourth, but remember, the reason he finished fourth is two reasons. Bill Lazor took over the play calling. So if you tell me Bill Lazor is going to take over the play calling early on in the season, then maybe we have an argument there. But took over the play calling and played against the worst defenses in the NFL when it came to uh, run defense. I can't argue the Nagy fact. You know that for you know, I'm, I'm not a Matt Nagy apologist. I think he sucks. I don't think he should ever be involved in the play calling. But even he showed me in the beginning of the season, he realized who the top running back in that backfield was. And he, ha- and I'll say this, he has made a point to say that David Montgomery will get, uh, he, David Montgomery will get 20 carries a game, which again, we talk about, it's, it's not going to happen. But the other factor is this, when Tariq Cohen went down, and I think this is a big part of his upside and his potential too, when Tariq Cohen went down, there's nobody else to go to. The fact that they have Damian Williams, who I do think if something were to happen to Cohen would be then involved in the passing game in his own right, keeps the cap on the possibility that Montgomery will be able to just take over completely. Uh, it was with Damian Williams there. I don't think they signed him to that one-year deal to bring him in to not be utilized if they find themselves in a similar situation. The other problem is Tariq Cohen's contract. He gets paid too much to get left out. So if he is active on the field, I think Nagy's going to have this feeling that he needs to get them more involved. Have you found your stat yet? Because I know I've, I've found my stats before. Uh, I'm still working on Fantasy that. But... Uh, no, this thing just, kept, just kicked me off. Uh, talk about you know what I just said to you there about the contract of Tariq Cohen. I'm not worried about it. They had that contract last year. Like I said, for the first three games, he wasn't utilized the way that people are seeming to think that he was being in the passing game. The year before, absolutely, don't question that. Last year, you didn't see a gigantic difference when they both were healthy. The only game that you did see it was the Atlanta game, and that was because they fell behind by so many points. I think David Montgomery showed last year that he should be the guy, and they drafted him to be the guy. 
And while I have kind of concerns about Damian Williams getting some touches, which every running back kind of shares some touches, I'm not worried about him necessarily stealing the passing game or stealing anything from Montgomery. I think just helps him kind of be more healthy and as the season progresses, you know, continue to be effective. So I actually look at it as a kind of a blessing having a little guy. They had Cordell Patterson last year. From everything I had heard camp-wise, they were planning on using Damian Williams in the Cordell Patterson role, which basically is you're, you play a couple snaps here or there. So I made a mistake in my notes. You're right. They did both have ultimately had nine targets over the first three weeks, three Cohen to six targets. 2019, there was a 75-25 split between Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery when it came to the targets. That was my note. That was my mistake. Um, but that that's where they had the big split as far as the target share goes. And that's what I get concerned about. Uh, moving off of David Montgomery, again, I like him with the upside. I think there's a reason why he should be drafted as an RB2 there. I don't think he's a sleeper at that standpoint, but we'll see exactly what happens. Maybe he'll be one of our bet guys that we're going to do an episode on later on uh, before the season. He'll be better than Austin Eckler, uh, which I put up the wrong graphic, so thanks for pointing that out. Anyway, I have Latavius Murray as my number five. And the reason why Latavius Murray is my number five guy is because how involved I believe this backfield is just going to be in general when it comes to the Saints. I talked about before Alvin Kamara is my big guy because he's going to the whole offense is going to revolve around him and where he goes. But to back that point up, I think Latavius Murray is going to be on the field quite a bit, too. I think you're talking about a guy who might be looking at 12 plus carries a game and he's done in the past. He's been a flex guy. And that's kind of where it builds into him being one of my sleeper candidates because of where he's being drafted compared to the value that he gives you. First of all, we all know that if Al Kamara goes down this Latarius Murray show, he's one of the top end handcuffs that you could possibly own. That's number one. But his ADP is 46. I have him ranked as RB38. If Alvin Kamara has to get utilized in a ton of different ways and maybe line up in the slot or whatever they're going to do, it means both him and Murray are going to be on the field at the same time. I like Latavius Murray's talent, especially on this offensive line with this team. He has touchdown upside, especially with Jameis Winston. I just think he's a guy who's going much lower than what his value actually is. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think Latavius Murray is somebody that people seem to have forgotten about and are reaching a lot of the running backs around there or even before that. This guy's still going to be heavily involved in the offense. He's not going to go away. Alvin Kamara is not going to all of a sudden get 300, 300 carries. So I do think Latavius Murray definitely has some great value. Moving on here to our next sleeper talents. You have Joe Mixon as your sleeper. Again, not the prototypical sleeper, but I'm sure you're making the point of you have him ranked a lot higher than what he is going. Where do you have him ranked exactly, Chris, would be my question. I have Joe Mixon in discussion as a borderline first rounder, depending on what your pick is. Um, I have him around eight. Um, I still have kind of movement going on in that range, but I do think that Right now, for me, he's, he's starting to move ahead of Jonathan Taylor, who I had Jonathan Taylor originally slotted ahead of him. Um, I think that Mixon, to me, is a guy, especially with the Joe Burrow news we kind of show off with, is going to be the primary face in the offense and featured more and more. And I kind of look at the Todd Gurley role that the Rams he used, you know, Todd Gurley's role on the Rams a couple of years ago. And I think Mixon has opportunity to kind of explode like that. Uh, I think that he, him being utilized in all, you know, both facets of the game with Geo moving on and him having basically – the kind of offense run, you know, featuring him a lot of ways, I think has an opportunity to really have some upside. And I think the offensive line does improve a little bit. I don't love all their moves, but I do think Reef's better than what they had last year. I do think Jackson will be a better guard than they had last year. So I think some of their head more will beefing this up, you know, up front. And the guy was basically RB9 when he was healthy for the first eight, nine weeks. 
So he's a guy that I think that people are kind of, you know, assuming just kind of do what he does and not necessarily, re, you know, don't want to look at Joe Mixon. But for me, looking at, if you're looking at Antonio Gibson, you're looking at Jonathan Taylor, he's somebody I would rather take over those two guys um, than I think than a lot of people were looking at the opposite way, or especially even Austin Eckler, who's ranked ahead of him right now in ADP. So you're you're saying from this standpoint of you believe Joe Mixon is worthy of a late first round pick? I think he should be in that discussion. Yes, I think he's definitely obviously a guy you should take if you're coming back on that second round, early second round. He should be one of the top running backs coming off the board there. I mean, I don't disagree with that standpoint. I have Joe Mixon ranked as RB12, which is only one spot ahead of the ADP at the moment. It's actually the same where ECR has him ranked. I, again, I just I have his injury rate baked into his projection, which is why he wants an RB12, which is why I'm four spots lower than you, apparently, when it comes to Joe Mixon. I don't have anything bad about it. Again, the only thing to get in his way is his health. That's it. And I think you can make a good case as to why you know, maybe he won't have as much issues in that front because they did play it safe with him last year. I mean, if anything, you'd have to expect, given that he was week to week, but yet never played a season ago, you have to expect that the team ultimately just made a decision because they were out of the playoffs. There's no reason to throw him out there that he should have every reason in the world to be 100% healthy this season coming up to it. So I don't, I don't dispute that any kind of way. Again, for me, the only difference would be I have him ranked at 12 His ADP is 13. I think he's actually going well, that's the running back position and i think that for me he could be arguably top 10 but adp wise he's going to like 19 which is late second you know late second round early third most early third round that's I would, where i think he's falling too far and i would lead with i think he belongs there as well because you have to i don't want to take too many risks with my early second round pick again i go back to i don't want to lose my draft early on i want to win my i want to be able to stabilize and then win my draft later i think being that he would be a late end second round properly bakes in the injury risk that is a Joe Mixon. Because remember, the last two years, he's been a fantasy disappointment, frankly, at the end of the so, day. So would you take Gibson and Eckler ahead of him? Gibson, yes. I have Eckler ranked one spot below Joe Mixon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. So that, that's about the range that we're talking about, though. I would have him mixed in with those guys. Moving on, we have I have Joshua Kelly as my number four. This is based... I have him ranked much higher in ADP, first and foremost. I have him ranked at 59, uh, and his ADP right now is 73. Now, I, I want to leave with this. I'm not super excited about Joshua Kelly, but if you're talking about a deep, deep sleeper in your double-digit rounds... Somebody besides Austin Eckler is going to get worked into this offense. Kind of like Anthony Lynn Lombardi has the history of having two backs, of having a 
quote unquote, bigger physical type of back to go with his pass catching guy. I, we've talked about this Austin Eckler reason why you have him as one of your bus. You don't believe he's going to be very involved in the red zone. This is kind of why I have Joshua Kelly as one of my sleeper guys, because somebody's going to be, and I do believe it's going to be Kelly over Larry Roundtree. Although I wasn't impressed by Kelly last year, just athletically, Kelly still blows Larry Roundtree out of the water. And I still think they're going to give him the shot over, over Roundtree to start off the season. So, Here's my argument why he's a sleeper. If he can be a little bit better than what he was last year and actually convert in the red zone, you're talking about a guy who could be, he'll be touchdown boomer bust, but maybe works his way into potentially being an RB3 because of the touchdown work that he could potentially get. So that's why I have Joshua Kelly there as a deep sleeper in double digit rounds who has a pathway of production to fantasy relevancy. Or he could get cut. Or he could get cut. But it doesn't that doesn't that hasn't been the reports out of camp. The reports out of camp has been it's still leaning more towards Justin Jackson being the one who gets cut. And that See, I, I've him. actually heard Justin Jackson actually been pressing and they're thinking about more and more keeping him because he's actually one of the few guys that has more explosiveness than the other guy. You know, if you lose Eckler, they don't have any explosiveness in the backfield. And they like Jackson, they liked how he's been productive when he was out there, just healthy was the biggest concerns. While Joshua Kelly, somebody they're kind of just more down on overall. And there are reports of the exact opposite where they, they, they confirm what you're saying as far as explosiveness goes, but because he gets paid more than the other guys, because he is never healthy, he is still very much on the roster bubble himself. Look, I'm not making an argument here that Kelly's definitely not going to cut. Somebody is of these three, and it could be any any one of them. But just Justin Jackson also does not fit the mold I think Joe Lombardi is going to have on this team, which he's going to have a bigger physical back on this team. And I believe Joshua Kelly, it will it will be Joshua Kelly, not Larry Roundtree. And it won't even if Justin Jackson stays on the roster, he's not gonna be the guy getting the goal line touches over anybody. That'll be one of these bigger backs. So that's why I have Kelly there as a deep sleeper. Again, we're talking about a guy that you're taking a shot on. I just see a pathway if he can convert in his goal line situations. So let's move on to our next sleeper group, which would be I have Jamal Williams number three. You have Damian Harris as your number three sleeper. So speak to that of why you think Damian Harris is undervalued right now. I think Damian Harris has the opportunity to be the clear number one back in New England, which is a huge change for, you know, from most of the past. Um, he kind of took this step last year and sort of solidifying as the back guy. There's talk about them moving off of Sonny Michelle, even though he's still on the roster currently. Um, he has been more utilized in camp, at least right now, in the passing game. And you have Rex Burkhardt, who's moved on. And with Rex Burkhardt moving on, that's six touchdowns, and that's about 25 to 30 catches available. So they did have White last year, so I'm not trying to argue that they didn't have White. And he's not going to be heavily involved in the passing game. But there is an opportunity for somebody to kind of fill the role, the Rex Burkhead role, that was missing now in that New England offense, which, like I said, six touchdowns and about 25 catches. So you add that to Damian Harris's potential. You add that to Cam Newton. We both agree he's going to have a better year than he had last year. The offensive line is more improved. They have a good tight end, two, two, two good tight ends, um, and an overall offense that should be more improved just from talent-wise. And then the defense that should be better than it had those last year as well, have more opportunity to get some turnovers, some easy touchdowns. I like Damian Harris this year. I think he has upside to be a really good back, good productive, you know, average five yards per carry. I think there's no reason that he can't be more involved in some capacity. I don't think he's clearly going to just be the Sonny Michelle role where he just only runs the ball. I think he'll get a couple – you know, he does do good pass production. Even uh, Belichick came out and talked about how he's been really excelling in all three phases. So I do think this is something that I kind of hope for Damian Harris. And right now where he's going, he's basically going not far from where Zach Moss is. We both talked about you know, Zach Moss in that backfield. Is that something you may want to kind of look at? To me, Damian Harris is definitely a guy that I have my board higher than the ADP is going right now. 
His ADP is uh, 32, running back 32 at the moment. I have him ranked at RB31, so I think he's getting valued relatively correctly. I completely, I think you're being very, very generous when you say let's add Rex Burkhead stats to Damian Harris. I, he's not going to be involved in the passing game as long as Cam. Now, if Mac Jones was a starting quarterback. I think we'd have a much in- more interesting conversation here as far as that goes. But because it's Cam Newton, I don't think there's going to be a ton of pass attempts to the running back position in general. And it who is going to be who was running back last year I and mean, who was quarterback last year. It was Cam and James White yeah, dominated the dominated targets. But, but Rex Burkhead still had 25 catches and six. Agreed. Touchdowns. But why would that go to Damian Harris? Why would that not just go to James White? That's what doesn't make any sense to me. So why did they go Rex Burkhead in the first place? Because they like to sprinkle in Rex Burkhead. But if you don't have but Rex Burkhead, my point I don't... is that there's an opportunity to have a guy that you're going to have more of a, a slim down backfield. So I don't think James White automatically gets all that all those catch, runs, I mean catches because he's going to be out there more often. I think you're going to have equally him's usage. His usage is going to change necessarily. I don't think he's not going to play, you know, 95% of the snaps that of the pay past the ball. I think you're going to see him still be out there for the most part like he was last year. But there's still some opportunity for somebody else to kind of fill in that role and kind of have a couple catches here or, there or score some touchdowns. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't I don't think you have any basis on why that would go to Damian Harris and not James White, as far as the passing targets go. When Rex Burkhead went down, we have an example of this. When Rex Burkhead went down, it was all James White in the passing game. It wasn't Damian Harris. He wasn't involved. It wasn't Sony Michelle. And as far as the Belichick narrative goes, as far as Damian Harris being more involved in the passing game, he said the same thing about Sony Michelle the first two years, and he wasn't at all. This team, as long as James White is on this team, it will kill Damian Harris's ability to catch the ball. He has the ability to catch the ball. He should be catching the ball. He should be more involved in that. But I don't believe for one second that's going to be the case. I think he is your prototypical RB3 because I think he is a good rusher. He will. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Michelle, I have to believe he's going to get cut. But even if he doesn't, this is Damian Harris's backfield as far as the carries go. This is a team that's going to be heavily in the red zone uh, and efficient in that aspect of it. But he's your typical RB3 with not much of a ceiling because of the lack of pass work. And We'll have some floor games, but he's going to be a guy I think you can play in your flex play, get by with it. I don't see a ton of upside unless something were to just drastically change, like Mac Jones taking over this job earlier on in the season or James White getting hurt. That's what it would take for me for Damon Harris. So I think he's actually valued right where he should go. Um, and, and that's just, you know, we'll see exactly what happens throughout the season. Again, we'll keep these things in mind for our, our bet show that's going to come in uh, early September. Moving on. To our next sleeper, I have Jamal Williams as number three. Now, this is pretty basic as to why I have him as number three sleeper. One, I think he's somebody who is not just a handcuff because I do believe I have him getting about 40% of the work to DeAndre Swift's 60% of the work when they're both healthy. So I think he's the guy who's involved on a week-to-week basis. Not that you want to play him in those situations, but we talk about this. Swift's dealing with a groin injury. He has concussion injury history. So Williams in a position where, like last year when he found himself in a few games, he could be the lead back for a few games. And in the games in which he was the lead back last year for Aaron Jones, week seven through eight, he was the RB4 during that time period. So he's a guy who's shown that if you're just going to give him all the volume, he can produce high-end running back type of numbers. And right now, his ADP is 45. I have him ranked as RB35. I think he's going to finish as a top three running back this year a guy that I have no problem drafting, even though he's quote unquote a handcuff, but I think it's a little bit more than that in that ninth round territory and feeling pretty good that you're going to have a couple games of upside. 
Yeah, so in that similar round, like I said, I'd rather have Damien Harris over him, but I don't, I don't disagree. He has some sleeper value, absolutely. Moving on a little bit more, we have I have Raheem Mostert, my number two. You have Chase Edmonds. I like the Chase Edmonds pick. Why have Chase Edmonds your number two sleeper? I don't buy the narrative that James Conner is going to be Kenny and Drake. Um, I think that Conner was brought in a different contract than Drake was paid last year. I think Conner's best days are kind of behind him. Um, I think there will be a split, but Edmonds is very effective even with Drake Lair last year. He's definitely always involved in the passing game. I think that doesn't change at all. And I think you're going to see a little bit more carries out of him. You don't need a whole significant lot more out of Chase Edmonds than you were getting last year. He was a valuable flex play on 62% of the time. He was an RB3 last year when he played. So I think when you look at his production, it's already kind of in place. He expects a little bit of a jump. I think the offense will be better in general. And I think he'll have a little more carries because I think Drake was, you know, basically had to prove his contract last year. There was a, a commitment to make sure that he was out there. It was a commitment to make sure he got his touches. But I think that James Conner doesn't have that same thing tied to him. I think Edmonds is clearly the more explosive, better player in the backfield. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I have him ranked one spot of his head, head of his ADP. I have him at 26. His ADP is 27. But that's more of a reflection of protecting myself in where you draft him. I think where he's being drafted is okay, but I'm with you on what the upside is of a Chase Edmonds. Where I don't buy that if James Conner's inefficient, he's, they're not just going to keep running him out there the way they did Kenyon Drake because of what Drake's contract was like. And I think Edmonds has that upside. He's so, shown explosibility before. He's going to have the floor of the passing attack throughout the entire season. It's just going to be a matter of, can he hold up with added workload? Can he be efficient with those carries? Because he did have some situations where he had a game where he was the most efficient guy when he actually had the opportunity to carry the workload. So I think it's a question of we haven't seen it yet, which is why I have him ranked at RB26, but there is definitely an upside when it comes to Chase Edmonds, and I do like his talent quite a bit. Uh, as far as mine, with Raheem Mostert being my number two sleeper, again, this has more to do with where he's being, where I have him ranked in his ADP. His ADP is 29. I have him ranked as 25. This is just a guy who can give you RB1-type production any given week, and especially when you talk about all the time, these guys going, you know, zero running back or modified zero running back. He's just that guy for me that you're going to take, you know, going into it, you're not going to have him for all 17 games, which is what's baked into his value here. So I haven't ranked at RB 25, but at RB 25, those games that you do get, you have RB one upside any given week because of that system, because of what he can give you. So I think the fact that this guy has been going consistently in the, seventh, eighth round territory to me is a steal. I think he's worth that sixth round pick, quite frankly. Weeks one through two last year was the RB6. Weeks five through six was the RB18. Weeks 12 through 15, RB37. That's when they started sprinkling in guys like Jeff Wilson, even when he was playing. Uh, but he's that guy who just has the ultimate boomer bust potential for you. And he's also represents that area where there's a big drop off at running back, which is another reason why I think you'd be better off taking him a round or two earlier than most people are going. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the EDP, like you said, you know, he's, he's right now is RB 27. Um, so I think that's pretty fair. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I do agree with the roundage wise. I was kind of putting the Chase Edmonds thing out there. I think Chase Edmonds is going around the same round as Raheem Mostert is right now. Um, so I think that for me, I think there's other guys who I might value, but I think Raheem Mostert is basically being forgotten about. So I don't disagree that it's somebody that people shouldn't be forgetting about. Maybe the opportunity to kind of have as your fourth running back as a, you know, a great player, especially in the beginning of the season. I do think he loses his job as the season progresses. 
Do you think that they you know, brought in Sermon as a guy to be the replacement? Um, and then he's not really heavily involved in the passing game. We've, we've kind of seen that in the past years. So I think Raheem Mostert does have some upside, particularly their early season schedule. They play Detroit like in week one. Um, so I think he's somebody you shouldn't be forgetting about, but I think his ADP is not too bad. Let's move on to our number one. We both have the same number one. Something we agree on, Chris. We agree <clears throat> on Michael Carter as the number one sleeper running back on our boards. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to name some of the guys that they have going ahead of him. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones right now are going before he is. Moser, Mike Terrible Davis, mistake. Melvin Gordon, Travis Etienne, um, go on and on. James Robinson. I mean, you just go down the list of all these different guys who I have a lot of question marks about, and I don't understand why somebody who clearly is the most talented backfielder on the Jets, they clearly have upgraded offensive line, particularly on the left side where you have Becton and, and Tucker. Um, you added a Moses the right tackle. You have a, a young quarterback who has decent legs. You have pretty decent weapons on the outside and you play in a division where you have to kind of score points. I don't see why Davis is good. And the, uh, these guys doesn't have that Davis. Um, well, my boy, I should say, doesn't have opportunity to be Michael Carter. Shouldn't be somebody that you're looking for and just have way higher value of. I think he's getting kind of not because he was one of the last running backs to kind of come off the board in this year's draft. And I think maybe that's what the concern is. He's killing their fourth round pick. But we've seen other fourth-rounders you know, explode into the scenes, and because their talent has basically been better than anybody else's out there, and he's in a similar situation. He's better than Tevin Coleman. He's better than Ty Johnson. Samaji Perrine's nobody. So, I mean, look at the rest of the guys they have around him. You look like he should be the guy, and they should be utilizing him in the passing game because he is the best pass catcher and has been you know, for a while now. Um, at, at college, this guy was highly explosive. He was able to be utilized even as a tandem back was still productive. So even if you – our question is he going to get 20 touches. It doesn't matter with 15 touches. He's still going to be productive. That's the point is that in this system, first of all, it fits in perfectly. There's a better offensive line of people want to give the Jets credit for. They're going to want to protect their rookie quarterback, which means leaning on the running game, which is already going to be the emphasis for this system again anyway. And he's not a guy who needs a ton of touches to be super effective. He is going to be the number one pass catcher of this team. He's an explosive type of runner. So guys like Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, they can get sprinkled in, and Michael Carter can still give you upside. I have him ranked at RB28. His ADP is RB35. But he could be, I wouldn't be shocked if this guy finishes as an RB2, finishes inside the top 24, quite frankly. I'm big on Michael Carter, just like you are. Uh, definitely one of the top sleepers on my board, given the circumstances and situations. This is not your same old Jets regime, guys. It's not your same old Jets regime. This is a new team, new look, new faces, new scheme. And there's some guys to be excited about, especially Michael Carter on this team. That was our best five, bus five, sleeper five running backs. So now, guys, guess what time it is. The mail's here. That's right. The mail's here. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do is hit us up at BellyUpMDFFShow on social media. No matter what, even if we don't pick your question out, we're still going to give you an answer. We're still going to help you guys out, but we'll pick out our favorite ones and talk about them on the show. So to kick this thing off, we got Lyle. He asked Nick Chubb or Austin Eckler in PPR. I guess you guys can guess where we're going to go with this. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious where I stand on that one. Even Eckler's you know, ability to be used in the passing game, I definitely think with Chubbs, you know, that's kind of something you're kind of worried about for him. His production just outshines Eckler overall, so I go with Nick Chubb. 
Nick Chubb is the lighter version of Derrick Henry, where even in PPR leagues, because he's such an effective runner, he's such a superstar runner, that he's still going to be an RB1 even in full-point PPR leagues. I have him as RB8 in a full-point PPR league compared to Austin Eckler at RB13. I definitely would go with Nick Chubb myself, too. And just real quick, on a per-game basis, Nick Chubb actually had a better PPR per game than Eckler did. did last year in PPR leagues. Well, the big difference is he scores touchdowns, unlike Austin Eckler, and that still counts for something even in PPR, believe it or not. He's Izzy, he asks, are you guys moving your playoff weeks to week 15 through 17? Now there's an 18-week schedule. Izzy, I hope the hell not, because I'm not a big fan of two-week playoffs. And I definitely don't know about well, 15 to 17. I'm trying to understand as a three weeks playoffs you're looking at, but I don't like that long. No, I don't. I don't think he's suggesting uh, two week playoffs. Weeks 15 through 17, that would be three weeks. So three week playoff then. Yeah, I mean, just like typical typical playoffs before weeks 14, 16, and oh, 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 week, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's weeks 14, 15, and 16 was your typical playoff weeks before. He's asking, are you just going to move that a week later, or are you going to do, you know, week. 15 and 16 as one playoff game week 17 and 18 is one playoff game. He's asking which one are you going to do now? There's an extra week. Oh, I would keep the same format that I've had. There's no reason to change it. In my opinion, I think that you want to just knock off the one game, just move it a game back. Basically. I don't think that last game you had some concerns. People are going to be set or being rested for playoffs, depending on who's, you know, how, how seating is kind of going. So I think you just kind of move, you know, back one week. That's all I would do. Yeah. I'm with you again. I never, the reason why I always call it the amateur hour league when it was the week 17 championships to begin with is because you don't know who the hell is going to play week 17. Your superstars might be sitting the bench because the team's already set up for, you know, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. It's not going to change in week 18. So that's why I never believed in championship weeks should have been week 17 to begin with. I especially hate the two week matchup playoff because it doesn't reflect anything. Your entire season is based on who wins any given Sunday. That's how the NFL does it. It's how fantasy football does it. Why are we changing formats, completely change the game come playoff time? It doesn't never made any sense to me. So yes, we, I, I know in our leagues, Chris, that we're in together, we're just going to be moving it one week back. So the regular season will end in week 14 instead of week 13. So there'll be an extra regular season game, but the playoffs will be weeks 15, 16 and 17. And I think that's how it's going to be for most leagues out there. Uh, Jen, she asked me in a non PPR league, would you go with Josh Jacobs or Chris Carson? This one was really tough for me, Jen. Um, there's not a whole lot, I think, other than kind of my preference. I would probably go with Jacobs, actually. Um, he had more production over 20-point games than Chris Carson did last year. He's more, He was healthier last year. And overall, I think that he just had more explosive, more upside and a better floor. Carson had, you know, I think with five games under and double di- or single digits points, I think, I believe. And Jacobs had six, but he played in three or more games. So overall, you saw the more upside out of Jacobs, you know, by far, and you saw a more consistent uh, floor by Jacobs as well. So I go with Jacobs. I have Chris Carson in standard leagues ranked literally one spot ahead of Josh Jacobs. So I have these guys neck and neck with each other. The reason I have him one spot is because I think with Kenyon Drake there, I don't think it's just the passing work we're talking about that Kenyon Drake's going to steal away. I think he's going to steal away some carries too. Now, it's not going to be a touchdown work. I think Jacobs is still going to be fine. But him being an RB8 last year was a bit deceiving because he had some big games where he scored multiple touchdowns in, and that's what really propelled his value. On a week-to-week basis, I think I'm rather going to have Chris Carson. I think he's going to be more involved in both the rushing and the passing game. 
And depending on his health, I think he could wind up score, scoring about the same amount of touchdowns on a high-scoring offense in Seattle compared to what I think is going to be potentially a really bad offense and a bad offensive line with the Raiders. I worry about Josh Jacobs' efficiency, even with the carries that he is going to get. Again, I have them one spot separated from each other, but I would lean a little bit towards Chris Carson. I just have a little less concern when it comes to him compared to Josh Jacobs in his overall ceiling. There's more of a ceiling there with Chris Carson. Jason, he asked half point PPR, which Rams receiver will be the most valuable out of Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? If you listen to the show for any length of time, you know what my answer is. Go ahead, Chris. I mean, I think you can't go wrong with either. I think Cooper Cup to me is just a preference of mine. I think Cooper Cup's profile is to be the more effective receiver with Matthew Stafford. But I can't argue strongly that Robert Woods can't either. They're probably going to have similar production just like they did last year. They both have had 90 catches most of the years that they're out there. I think that's going to continue. Uh, Cooper Cup has more touched, uh, had one t- had touchdown season. Robert Woods has never touched, you know, ever smelled double-digit touchdowns. But that's the only difference for me. So I think Cooper Cup will just be somebody that Matthew Stafford trusts a little bit more in the red zone. So I go Cooper Cup, but I understand Robert Woods' choice as well. For me, it's hands down Robert Woods because I have him ranked as a top 10 wide receiver. Um, I love Cooper Cup too, by the way. I have him as wide receiver at 19. But to me, Robert Woods will be the number one target in this offense. He'll still be that X receiver. He'll still be the guy for Stafford. And again, I've made this point. I do think Robert Woods is in line for a career high. Now, a career high in touchdowns is only eight. But I do think he's in line for a career high in touchdowns because with Jared Goff gone, I don't think it's automatic the Cooper Cup would be the number one red zone targeted wide receiver. I think Robert Woods might actually take that now at Matthew Stafford. Either way, both these guys are really valuable with an upgraded quarterback on an offense that's going to be really good, I think, this year anyway. But for me, it would be Robert Woods. Our poll question of the day. After the preseason game, and this was based on uh, the Hall of Fame game last week, I was curious because there was a couple of narratives that came out of that game. Do you value Najee Harris more Less or the same based on that preseason game. Now, 62% voted the same, which is what I agree with. I don't, I didn't move him up or down in my rankings based on that preseason game 100%. But 22% said more, 16% said less. The two narratives basically were this he had a ton of volume. So, on the one hand, does it confirm the idea that he was going to get a ton of volume if you had any questions about that beforehand? But the other hand was this that offensive line's bad. And they show that they were bad. And it shows that even with the volume, he might be a slightly inefficient. So do you value him less based on the inefficiencies? Those are the two narratives that came out. Now, I had the same because I already have him projected to get a ton of volume while not being the most efficient running back in the world. And I have him as a mid-level RB2 as a result of that. Chris, where are you at on this? It changes absolutely nothing to me. It's a running back in preseason. I mean, if anything, I might have a little of encouragement, not necessarily from the volume, for him, but for the volume of the offensive line, that actually they're actually out there run blocking. So maybe that has some, you know, helps them kind of be more prepared for the season to start off. But I don't really think it has anything to do with Harris. I think I agree with 66% of MB Nation where it changes my viewpoint not at all. 100% agree. That's going to do it for the show. It's a great show. Uh, best five, bus five, sleeper five running backs. Next Friday, we'll be back with the wide receivers. Best five, bus five, sleeper five. And that's how we're going to lead it off. And of course, make sure you're tuning in Thursday as well, both at 11 a.m., 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. That'll be the full point mock draft on Thursday. That'll be the first day that we're back as we continue our two episodes a week 
through August before we hit September. We go to five a week. Make sure you're following us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. We have the player news notifications coming out for you guys. So make sure you hit the alerts up because they're completely free. We still give you the edge and get news out pretty quickly along with our analysis. Make sure you check out this episode on your favorite pod streaming app. If you missed any part of it, go back, listen to it at your own pace. We're widely available to you on almost every app out there. Everybody, I want you to have a great weekend. We'll be back next week to talk more fantasy football and to get you guys ready for your drafts. We'll all see you then later. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design.